Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trade in the Stock Market. And today's episode, we're going to talk about the go-to stocks that we tend to trade more than others. For me, there's definitely some stocks that I trade more than others, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that and how that can be helpful in aiding a person with their full-time job requirements or if they have big family responsibilities, how that can actually help them minimize their screening time and the necessary time they have to spend going through charts. Now, remember, I'm a full-time trader. I've been doing this for years and years and years. Let's see. I've been a trader since I was 11 years old, not necessarily full-time, but I've been doing it for 30 years and I'm able to consume a whole lot more information than probably most people, especially those starting out, just because I can go through a thousand charts a day and not even blink an eye and probably spend like one or two seconds on them on average. So this email comes from England on the other side of the pond. And for a good English name, I'm going to call this guy Alfred. So Alfred writes, hey, Ryan, Alfred here from England. Just wanted to say how helpful the podcast is. What really is helpful about it is how you keep on and on and on about risk management. It's really made a difference to my behavior. My stop losses have saved me a load of pain. So thank you for that. I guess I have two questions. If either makes it onto the podcast, I'd be super happy. Well, both of them are going to make it on there. He says the first one is... Can you tell me something about how you identify stocks to follow as targets? I work full-time and have a load of family responsibilities, so I don't get a lot of time to follow the markets. But I do have a list of about 10 targets that I follow, and I update those depending on what's in the news. I like a mean reversion strategy if there has been bad news that the market seems to have punished a stock too hard for. I like to go after those plays. But also, I'm looking at mining and energy right now because it feels like those stocks have good prospects at the moment. Anything you could say about how you identify stocks to follow and watch for setups would be super helpful. Second question is, how do you decide which stop loss to put on? I tend to go with my gut feeling on this, really, which I know is a terrible idea. Love the show. Don't drink alcohol anymore. Sadly, yes, very sad. But love the reviews. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Now, since he doesn't drink alcohol anymore, I'm going to be evaluating a Shirley Temple. Nah, I'm just kidding with you guys. (laughs) I ain't doing that. This is King's Creek that I'm evaluating here today. It is a Tennessee Sour Mash. It's a Black Label Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. It's aged for a minimum of four years. It's got a proof of 80, and that means the alcohol percentage is 40%, which is not that great for a whiskey. I like mine around 50%, if not more. So the color on this one is it's a little bit on the light side. I mean, it's not horrible, but... To the nose, it smells a little bit oaky. You can definitely pick up on a lot of alcohol smell to it. To the taste, this taste is not that good, actually. I feel like it kind of gets worse. I've already had one sip of it, and the second sip wasn't any better. 
has a little bit of a licorice taste, but it's very like a, it's a flat, it's like a flat soda. I've mentioned that before with some other whiskeys that I've done. And I hate that flavor where it's just, there's no heat, there's no finish to the heat, and it just comes in flat like a soda that you left out a couple of days ago and you take a sip of it just to see if it has any carbonation left. And you kind of regret making that choice to even see if it had any taste or flavor to it still. That's what I kind of pick up when I drink this King's Creek Sour Mash Whiskey. Just really lacks the flavor. It's very mundane. In fact, I would say that this is a drink that would taste like some kind of bad cocktail at Chili's. Chili's is notorious for having bad cocktails, by the way. At least in my opinion, I think they all stink. So, scale of 0 to 10, I'm going to give this one a 4.7. And that may even be generous. There's just no flavor to this thing. Now, back to Alfred's questions here. So, he's asking about, the first thing he's asking about, identifying stocks to follow as t- potential trade targets, right? Second, and he, I'm not talking about like trade targets like where you get out of a trade at or how high you think a stock can go if you're long on a stock, but he's talking about targets as to what kind of stocks you may consider getting long on or short on. Second one is about where do I put the stop loss? How do I decide upon that? And I've done a lot of podcasts on that, but I don't mind reiterating it in future podcasts just because I think that repetition is very important as a trader to hear some of the same things twice. I mean, if you listen to every one of my podcasts, I talk about managing the risk and I'll be talking about managing the risk in this one too. But I think that is so incredibly important to hear that in every podcast that I talk about it in every podcast. So I think for a person who is working full-time, has a load of family responsibilities, you don't have to follow every single stock in the stock market. For one, you can have each of the sectors identified, right? You can trade ETFs. So when you have a bull market, there's usually stocks that are doing better than others. There's also sectors that are doing better than others. So you can have those identified. So for instance, you have the energy sector. That's the XLE ETF. You have the utilities. That's the XLU. You have technology. That's XLK. You have healthcare. That's XLV. Discretionary. That's XLY. Industrials. That's XLI. You have materials. That's XLB. Financials. That's XLF real estate, which is XLRE, communications, which is XLC, and I'm not sure, oh, healthcare, did I say, yeah, I already did healthcare, but then you got Staples, XLP, so there's 11 sectors out there, so you could really make a career off of just trading the sectors, but I'd also throw semiconductors in there too, that's a subset of technology, but it's still worth considering because it is a huge part of the market, so you would have 11 sectors and one ETF from an industry that you can follow. So there's those. So if the market's bullish, you try to find the most bullish sectors and trade those, assuming that there is a good trade setup to be had. If it's bearish, you try to find the weakest sectors and try to find those with the best trade setups to the downside. So that's one option that you have. The second one would be is if you're still wanting to trade individual stocks, is to consider identifying five to 10 stocks in each sector. So for technology, for instance. That would be Meta, M-E-T-A, it would be Google, G-O-O-G-L, Microsoft, M-S-F-T. But of course, you may also want to be like, hey, I don't want to trade the mega caps. I don't want to trade these you know, trillion dollar stocks. Maybe I want to just trade AMD or NVIDIA or LRCX. And those would be semiconductors. And then you have like COUP, which is a software player, Unity Software, which is you. You could look at NEE for utilities and SO. Or if it's energy, you could be looking at 
H-E-S and S-L-B, H-A-L for Halliburton, and Chevron, C-V-X. We're talking about staples. Well, then you got W-M-T for Walmart and D-L-T-R for Dollar Tree and Costco, C-O-S-T. If we're talking about healthcare, you got P-F-G. If you're looking to add some stocks for discretionary, then you got Amazon, obviously, A-M-Z-N. You got Restoration Hardware, R-H, Wayfair, W, Shake Shack, S-H-A-K, or McDonald's, M-C-D. So there's a lot that you can just follow in terms of like five to 10 stocks. I also have a must-watch watch list. Must-watch watch list. And what is on there? About 100 stocks that I always want to be looking at each and every day. And I do. I look at the leaders in those stocks. These are ones that are most interesting to me. Some of them may not be interesting to others, but... Of course, you have all the main stocks, plus Tesla, plus Microsoft. You have NVIDIA and AMD. Your real big tech stocks like Adobe. You also have good representation across all the other sectors as well. So I always am wanting to look at those. Those are mainly your market leaders and some really intriguing ones. Like I have Rivian on there, right? I've never even traded Rivian. But RIVN is one that I might trade in the future or just interested in following it. I got Robinhood. Never been bullish on that stock, H-O-O-D, but yeah, it's on the list. But there's about 100 of them on there. So I look at those probably on a daily basis. And it also helps me to get a good feel for the overall market. But, I mean, there's thousands of stocks out there to screen for and to look at. And everybody's watch list and the stocks that they like enjoy trading the most is going to be different for each person. I also think that there's go-to stocks. For me right now, trading in a very bearish market, I have a go-to ETF. It's QID. I've also traded RWM to the downside and SDS and PSQ. Those are my go-to ETFs. Sometimes if I'm wanting to get short and the market's not as volatile, I can go all the way up to a three-to-one ETF. And I don't mind doing that, but right now I'm not doing that because it is very volatile and I don't want to wake up to a massive gap higher, which takes me out at a 10 or 15% stop loss. But just because I watch these stocks doesn't mean, like I said, I watch Rivian and I've never traded it before. It doesn't mean that I have to trade those stocks. But if the opportunity ever comes about, whether I'm looking for like a bull flag pattern or I'm looking for a bounce off of a rising trend line or a cup and handle pattern or inverse ETF, you know, if they show up and it provides me with a good reward risk ratio, then I'll take it. I also think having a must watch watch list is good too, especially if it includes some of the really big names on it because it gives you an idea of what the overall market sentiment is. For instance, if you have Apple on the list and you see it every day and you're able to say, hey, Apple, which is the biggest stock that's essentially ever been created, it's down 5% today. That should probably be a good red flag not to be getting into any tech stocks on a day where Apple is down 5% because it has such a huge sway on the tech sector and the overall market. Now, he didn't ask me a question about it, but he did tell me that he likes the mean reversion strategy. And a lot of people do that. I see that all the time with a lot of traders. And I see it with a lot of new traders too. And it's not that there isn't a reversion to mean oftentimes, but in a strong trending market, whether it's 2022 or whether it's 2020 through 2021, you don't always have a reversion to the mean. And so if you're playing a reversion to the mean, you're usually dealing with limited reward and probably equal risk, if not greater risk, because you're essentially fighting a trend. But if you look at the trends from 20 to 20 to 2021, they went almost straight parabolic and there was very few pullbacks in between, very few reversions to the mean. And what a lot of people will use, they'll use like a 20-day moving average for a reversion to the mean. You'll see the 20-day moving average incorporated into a lot of things like Bollinger Bands, et cetera. 
And they'll even use Bollinger Bands to fade moves that go outside the upper or the lower band, assuming that it's going to come back to the 20-day moving average. But a lot of people play those. And I'm not a huge fan of them just because to get a good entry on it requires you stepping in front of a freight train. So the stock may be rallying hard and fast, and it goes beyond the upper Bollinger Band, but a stock can trade outside of a upper Bollinger Band for a long time. And in fact, it can come back inside the Bollinger Band, but not necessarily revert back to the mean. And I'm trying not to make this too complicated of an episode by talking about reversions and means and everything else. But uh, just to hit on that topic about reversions to means, I like to let my winners run. So a reversion to mean doesn't always let you do that. He also talked about he's looking at mining and energy because these stocks have been doing pretty well lately. But you also have to remember, too, I'm, I'm doing this recording about a day before it comes out. And I could tell you that energy stocks have been getting hammered. So has been materials. And when you're in a bear market, and you have a sector like energy that has done incredibly well, relatively speaking, even green on the year, if the sell-off is going to continue, eventually it's going to bring down energy with it. It's just like what we saw with Apple. For the most part of the year, at least for the first three or four months, Apple did really good relative to the overall market. And it, the market could have been a whole lot worse if the Apple followed the overall market sentiment, but it didn't. But eventually, Apple fell too. Eventually, Apple caved, and now it's part of the whole group of stocks that are just falling apart. So be mindful in a bear market when you have sectors that are running against it, that if the bear market's going to continue, more than likely, it'll take even the strong sectors with it. Oftentimes, you see gold and silver rally really well in the beginning of a bear market, but once you start getting those margin calls on other stocks, they got to start liquidating their more profitable positions, and that could be Gold and silver, for instance, where even though they might have done good early on, they have to start selling it, which creates selling pressure for the commodities. And then all of a sudden, gold and silver is doing horrible with the market. If you look at 2008, that was a really bad time for the overall market. Gold and silver didn't do that much better. And I would say right now, gold and silver is not all that great. It's not doing as bad as the overall market, but it's still not doing that good. The second question, how do I decide what stop loss to put on? He says he uses his gut feeling, man. Don't use the gut feeling. Gut feeling is set up to make you lose money. It is. And a lot of people go by it. A lot of people think this is where I think it should go. But the market doesn't care about your gut feeling. It doesn't even know your gut feeling. But what the market does know is support levels that are on the charts. So why not use the support levels that are on the charts that the market has respected in the past to where if it does break, you know that there's something to that break below a key support level that says, hey, I don't want to be in the stock anymore. And that's where I put it. I never use my gut. I could care less about what my gut thinks. And my gut often runs contrary to what the market actually does ultimately. That doesn't mean that I have a bad gut. I mean, I could stand to lose a couple of pounds, but nonetheless, I don't let my gut dictate my trading. And I really think that those who do usually find themselves in losing trades that last far too long. Because it, losing trades can be a slippery slope. You can be like, hey, I got in the stock at $100. I'll put my stop loss at $95. When it hits, it's like, oh, let's just see what happens if it goes down to 94. It hits 94. It's like, eh, I'll give it till 93. And then before you know it, you're down to like 85 and you're still making the same logic. And then you're thinking to yourself, I'm such an idiot, man. I should have just sold it at 95. Yeah, you should have. But that's what a lot of traders find themselves in the situation of doing. They, they put themselves into a slippery slope. Hard stops are really a good tool. And I know that a lot of people want to blame market makers or the boogeyman for when they get stopped out. But to be honest, you're going to have losing trades. At least 40 to 50% of your trades will be losers. What's going to dictate your success as a trader is how tight you kept those losers. Because if you don't keep it tight, it doesn't matter what kind of profits you're 
going to be making, you're going to ultimately lose. So I put my stop losses, not what my gut tells me or what I think it should be at, but I look at what the charts tell me. And I also have to pair that with what my risk tolerance is in the overall market. If I have a low tolerance for risk and I have a somewhat of a low tolerance for risk, that means my average stop loss is somewhere around 3 to 5%, sometimes tighter if I can pull it off. So if I look at a trade setup, it has this beautiful bull flag pattern. It's breaking out at 100, but the only way to place a quality stop loss on the chart is somewhere like 10 or 15% lower. I'm going to pass on that all day long because it doesn't fit my risk parameters. Yes, it may look like a good place on the charts, but it's not a good place for my risk preference. But what's also really good for people is swingtradingthestockmarket.com. You didn't think you were going to be able to get through this episode without hearing about that now, did you? Swingtradingthestockmarket.com. That's the patron website to this podcast. It supports the podcast, and it's going to give you my stock market research each and every day. So if you enjoy this podcast, pretty sure you're going to like this research as well. Because with it, you're going to get updates on the indices. You're going to get updates on all the main stocks. That includes Microsoft and Tesla as well, along with my weekly bullish and bearish watch lists. You're also getting my daily list of stocks that I'm looking at for possible setups, plus the most intriguing charts of the day. So check that out, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. And I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast episode. Remember, send me your questions, ryan at shareplanner.com. I do read them, and I do put most of them on air. Make sure to leave a five-star review as well because that does support this podcast and continue to allow it to grow. And I appreciate you guys listening. Cheers and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the Share Planner Trading Block where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash tradingblock. That's www.shareplanner.com slash tradingblock. And follow me on Shareplanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.